When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks. This episode features Bethany Black, and it's a good one if I do say so myself, and I can say so myself because most of the funny bits come from our guest, as usual. So sit right back and enjoy the heck out of this one. But before you do, let me tell you that now we have tickets on sale for our next Desert Island Dicks Live It's on the 4th of February, Friday the 4th of February, at 2 North Down in King's Cross. You know King's Cross, it's a huge transport hub in London, so you can get there from all over the country with ease. Oh, and did I mention the guest yet? Well, I probably should, because that's the best part. The guest is none other than the amazing Lou Sanders. She's very funny, you've seen her being funny in her stand-up, she's been on Taskmaster, she is excellent and she is going to be a very, very good guest. So go to the link in the description of this podcast now or the link on our socials at DixPod on Instagram and Twitter and get yourself some tickets. They're only £11, they'll be going fast. It's Friday the 4th of February, it's a Friday night and it's 7.30 start. What better way to start your Friday night? You can get some food, come and laugh, and then you're going to be in a great mood to carry on your night, whatever you want to do with it. It'll be lovely to see you. We had a great time the last shows that we did, so I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, on with the show. I'll be back at the end for a bit more information, and uh, enjoy this show, Desert Island Dicks with Bethany Black. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian, actor and writer Bethany Black. How are you doing? Hi, yeah, yeah, I'm doing very well. Um, uh, yeah, I've I've had one of the worst weeks I've had in a while, but it all turned around yesterday afternoon when the fantastic comedian friend of mine, Laura Lex, sent me a hat that she'd knitted for me. Uh, so I'm in a very good mood today. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, um, hopefully, you know, this process can sort of relieve you of any extra sort of stress that may yeah. still be there. You know, catharsis. In a sort of, that's what we exactly. Need. That's what we're going for. Yeah. Um, are you someone who finds it easy to rant a lot, or like, you know, or are you sort of more like reserved? I'm more reserved. I like. I don't tend to get very angry about things. I know that I have. Like, I know because I'm autistic and a whole bunch of other things that I come across as quite uh, sort of stern and stoic. Like I discovered that behind my back, a bunch of comedians years ago had nicknamed me the Ice Queen, uh, <laughs> and and I also know that the auditions that I get are all for like terrifying like uh, lesbian psychopaths. Those are the ones that I. Or, you know, dog groomers. It's like literally the only two that I get asked for. Um, That's quite an interesting Venn diagram. It is, yeah. I think it's the terrifying tall butch lesbian which, uh, is is just a thing that people go, yeah, yeah, okay, right. They're either a dog groomer who's a terrible disappointment to their parents or they're uh, a psychopath who works for, for a gangster. Um, 
So I like, uh, so yeah, so in spite of that, I'm not really a sort of angry, ranty person. I, uh, I'm recovering drug and al- uh, recovering drug addict and recovering alcoholic as well. So like, as a result of that, working through all of the resentments and stuff that I built up whilst I was drinking, I kind of got rid of that. And it's like, it's, it's an interesting space to sort of try and get back into and go, oh yeah, Oh, who makes me angry? And uh, I'm quite pleased with my list. All right. Well, well, let's just dive straight in then. Um, who's the first person joining you on the island? Um, oh, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I think a lot of us can guess why, why he annoys you, but let's, uh, let's talk it through. I mean, first of all, right, because obviously being on a, a desert island, the thing that I'm thinking about in terms of this is, he would be absolutely useless on a desert island, for mm. starters. This is someone who has his entire life mistaken luck for skill <laughs> and has found himself in this situation that he's at, uh, high up in the higher echelons of government. Yesterday, uh, and obviously you, when you're listening to this, it'll have been weeks ago, but he's probably said the same thing because it's the second time he said it. Uh Yesterday in Parliament, he said that it was that Conservative MPs didn't need to wear masks to protect against COVID because they all knew each other. So <laughs> what you're dealing with here is somebody who has absolutely zero understanding of cause and effect or anything that goes on in the real world. Um, this is a guy who still has his nanny present with him every single day. Like... If you're trapped on an island, desert island with him, he is only going to be a liability, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you like to think that people at some point get into politics. Like the ideal is that they want to help things run smoothly and they want to broadly help the country. And it sort yeah. of should come from that kind of place. And then there's people like him who is just power. I want power. And I actually, I deserve it. Like I should be here because I'm supposed to be. And, yeah. and that's it. It's not about helping. It's just like, it's about dominance. Yeah. Do you think he ever gets imposter syndrome? Absolutely not. There is absolutely no point on earth when he's going, I can't believe they're letting me get away with this shit. You know, that's, that's where I'm at with when I'm on stage sometimes, you know, not so much these days, but like, the amount of times over the years when I've been stood on stage as a stand-up comedian, or it's not even when I'm stood on stage, usually by that point it's gone. It's normally the bit just before an MC introduces me and I'm stood backstage and part of my brain goes, maybe tonight, maybe tonight will be the night that the audience figures out you're just making this all up <laughs> and that you're not really a comedian. You're just a dickhead who says funny things on stage, right? <laughs> which, which is what a comedian is. Uh, <laughs> I don't suppose he's ever had anything even approaching that in his life you know, at no point has he gone ah, i probably don't deserve to be here he honestly believes that he deserves to be there it's like um it reminds me of, there's a book i was reading recently by michael lewis who's the guy who wrote the big short the book that the movie was based on mm. um and he was looking into like various different other organizations and, and stuff uh in, in california and discovered that there was an issue over like the police and uh fire service and disparity in wages and stuff like that and how the police wages had gone up and up and up and firefighters wages had stagnated and they were struggling with that and when he spoke to a guy it was all about how unions had worked but when he was talking to the one of the guys who was pretty much in charge of making sure that people did get paid through through the government he said yeah well you've got what you've got to understand is that people go into those jobs for two entirely different reasons people go into into being a firefighter or a paramedic because they want to be liked Whereas people go into the police because they want to be respected. And mm. that's the problem. And that's kind of what I see with with how that sort of works in terms of those sorts of politics. There are people who go, 
on the left, there are people who go and really sort of give it their all because it is life and death. Mm. And people on the people on the right who go, ah, it's just a game. Even if I lose, it doesn't really matter. It's not really going to affect me in any material way. And the problem is that when you have that mental perspective on things, you tend to end up winning anyway because it means so much to the other person that they're far more likely to make missteps. And the missteps that they make are far more likely to have uh, massive consequences. So you'd think that that would mean that you'd be all right on a desert island, wouldn't it? Uh, if you're going, oh, well, it doesn't really matter either way. But once you go and put somebody like that into a situation where it does become life and death, they usually fall apart, in my experience. <laughs> he would at once fail at being any good on a desert island, but at the same time kind of sit there with this sort of like arrogance that he was doing it better than you, you know, while you're like helping him along and or just sort of refusing to help, you know, he'd sort of just be ordering you around. And Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like if he was, you know, if it came down to it, there's almost no meat on him. So, you know, it's not even useful for that, in that eventuality. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about the same thing. I was just like, I wonder if you came to eat him. Like, there wouldn't be much meat, but it'd probably be quite soft because he's never done any activity or, like, hard yeah. graft. You know, it'd be like, is it like veal? And yeah, they sort yeah. of, like, keep them in boxes so they don't move much. The muscle's very tender. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but also, like, he's so skinny. There's, li- there's very little muscle on him anyway. So it's like, yeah. ah, mm. I don't know how this has suddenly descended into cannibalism cooking hour. No marbling on that meat. There's no fat, <laughs> no good fatty tissue running through it. Uh, yeah. I also, I have, this is just on like a really superficial level. I get really annoyed when people who are clearly very wealthy can't get a suit that fits properly. And he yes. looks like he's wearing like his dad's old suits. You know, like he's very skinny, but their suits always look too big. Slightly too long. Yeah. I suspect that just comes from the fact that he's always been like that. So it, having had those like that when he was a little kid to now. But also, I was chatting to somebody who was with him at university who just said, oh, yeah, it's an absolute affectation. He desperately wanted all the posh kids to think that he was one of them, whereas all the really posh kids were, like, as they always have done, pretending to be a little bit more working class. Right. And he just kind of went the other way. Uh, So, yeah. So I honestly don't think he'd be any use whatsoever on a desert island. Like, not even for kindling. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, yeah, anytime like someone in your party like got killed or like hurt themselves, there would just be no pity or anything. You know, he's like incapable of any sort of pity or sincerity or like, you know, empathy and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that. That's my number one choice for one of the worst people. I think it's a very solid start and well argued. And let's see who's going to be joining him. Tom Hanks. Oh, interesting. I mean, yeah. the lovable Tom Hanks. The lovable, the favourite, the family favourite, lovable Tom Hanks, who, you know, when he got COVID, was, it was like, oh my God, this is, this, he is Americana personified. He is the modern Jimmy Stewart. Also, the last thing you want if you're on a plane crash and then get stuck on a desert island is him going, when I was uh, preparing for Castaway, I'm like, fuck off, Tom. That's, <laughs> that, it's not going to work in this situation, is it? <laughs> He honestly, like, he'd do you, he'd do your head in because he'd just constantly be talking about that and, like, as if he knows exactly what it is. And and I reckon he possibly isn't going to be as good in that situation as he, as he should be. In the film Castaway, you know, he's like this guy who works in logistics and he kind of works out, like, where he is in the world and, and yeah. you know, how to get out of it. Whereas, like, Tom Hanks' actor... 
probably doesn't have, I mean, he might do, but I don't know if he'll have those same skills. He probably has like the most basic so that it looks good on camera. Because that tends to be what it is. As an actor, I know that often you'll go and put in your spotlight or go and have a list for like things that you can do, special talents. And we always lie. <laughs> we always lie. The amount of comedians I know who've gone, oh yeah, I can horse ride. Because when they were a kid, they once got on a donkey at Blackpool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my friends got a, a job in an advert um, where he was playing a motorcycle cop. Uh, because he'd put that he could ride a motorbike on his spotlight and had never done that before. <laughs> and it was only when he got to the set, he went, uh, yeah, I, um, I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> and so I had to have like a really quick course in how to just at least come to a standstill so that it looked okay for camera. So yeah, so like with a lot of those things, actors tend to be, in my experience, except for the ones who like properly go like deep sort of. Mm, um, Daniel Day-Lewis kind of style. Yeah, yeah, the ones who like do the proper full-on um, method acting thing. You know, like Christian Bale. Uh, mm. There's a fantastic story from Tim Booth out of James. He played uh, the serial killer Zaz from the Batman comics. And he played him in Batman Begins and said he was working with Christian Bale for like three or four weeks on on um, on Batman and that he was sat in the makeup chair one morning and Christian Bale was sat next to him getting the full Batman cowl and, and stuff on. And at the end of it, he turned around and did the Batman voice and went, you're Tim Booth, right? If James, late saved my life. And like walked off, right? Because obviously he stays in character. He said, and then after that, they just chatted to each other on set, the entire thing. After they'd finished filming, that he realised that uh, he hadn't actually been hanging out and chatting to Christian Bale at all. He'd been hanging out and chatting to Christian Bale's version of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> because that's what it's like when you're working with some of the method actors. And... Although he went and put on a lot of weight and lost a lot of weight for the role, I don't think he sort of falls into that category where he would have gone out and gone, oh, yeah. Because mm. if they'd have cast, like, obviously, if they'd have cast Daniel Day-Lewis in Castaway, he would have gone and made sure that he got, sh- he, w- he would have made sure that he survived a plane crash and got shipwrecked for three years just so he could go and bring <laughs> yeah. a sense of verisimilitude to the, to the role. <laughs> Tom Hanks isn't doing that. Tom Hanks is going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, obviously, the one thing I remember from the film don't eat too many coconuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, Tom. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, we know the story about the coconuts now, yeah, Tom. Yeah, yeah come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, he's like obsessed with collecting typewriters. So there's a part of him that isn't that interesting. That's the thing. That is the bit of him, the part of him that's like the, the obsessive and the thing that isn't really that interesting that I would find most interesting about him. That would be the thing. Also, the other thing is, I I know for certain that I would manage very, very quickly to annoy him, um, is the other thing. Because I I really like Tom Hanks. I think he'd just be terrible to be trapped on a desert island with, partly because of Castaway, but also because... um, I would annoy him really quickly and it would, would like, ruin... uh, It would just ruin... it, it, it would ruin my image of him. And I've, had, I've managed yeah. to damage that with enough heroes over the years. And I don't <laughs> want to do that with him. Yeah. Um, but I also know that I would really upset him really quickly because I wouldn't be able to not ask him what the fuck happened with Chet Hanks, his son. Because <laughs> he has two sons. He has Colin Hanks and he has Chet Hanks. And Colin Hanks is exactly what you would imagine if you called your kid Colin and you were Tom <laughs> Hanks. And Chet Hanks is just a disaster. And I can't figure out how that happened. <laughs> I would try not to ask him anything about that and then accidentally completely ruin it and ask him immediately. And then he'd just get so annoyed with me. (laughs) Because this is the thing, like the thing about Chet Hanks, I think, and if you're not aware of who Chet Hanks is, just Google him. Um, He's awful. 
on the one hand, I just think he's awful. But on the other hand, I also, I, at least the rest of us only have to imagine what it's like to be a disappointment to Tom Hanks. <laughs> Whereas he knows what it's like to be a disappointment to Tom Hanks. Because <laughs> he has to. He has to be. And I think I'd probably bring that up within the first hour of realising that Tom was one of the other survivors. And I just wouldn't mention Castaway at all. I would be able to do that, but I just wouldn't be able to avoid asking him about his terrible son. And then if he got annoyed, you'd be like, oh, now I'm a disappointment to Tom Hanks. And it would just exactly. be just be a minefield. Okay, well, fair enough. I think, yeah, again, a solid a solid argument for, for your second choice. All right, who's going to round off the trio of dicks that you're stuck with then? Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, right, Gwyneth Paltrow. There's lots to get into with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, there is. Oh, maybe we should go and eat some of this seaweed because it's high in antioxidants. Fuck off, Gwyneth. Uh, (laughs) Just terrible. Like, there's so much about her that's, like, because of uh, her her, uh, organisation that she's head of this wellness, it's, it's nonsense. It really is. So much of it just has no basis in scientific reality at all and it's actively damaging. Mm. Uh, whether it's steam cleaning a vagina or whether it's selling jade eggs to whack up there uh, or yeah. whether it's other stuff that you, you should be eating. Like so much, it's that stuff that's like, I, I really find that sort of level of nonsense just so irritating. It's that, almost like that Deepak Chopra, the quantum can mean whatever you want it to mean. No, it can't. It has a very specific thing. Well, no, it just means things that we can't explain. No, it fucking doesn't. It means dealing with incredibly tiny things that are subatomic. Yes, and we can't explain those, can we? Fuck off, (laughs) all of you. Yeah, I think she would be an absolute nightmare to be stuck on a desert island with uh, for that. And, And also because every single solution that she would give you for any problem that you had would be wrong. Yeah. It would come from a good place, but it would be factually wrong in all sorts of different ways. So the website Goop is the thing. And then didn't they have some massive publishing deal with like a huge publishing house that then had to, they couldn't go on with it because to be sort of on the internet, you put any old crap up about like, you know, vaginal jade eggs or whatever. But then when you're putting it in print, there are certain standards that you have to have checked and stuff like that. So they were like, well, hang on, wait, have you got any proof for any of this? And it's like, oh, yeah, but it's a doctor who said it. And it's like, yeah, but she's a doctor of like linguistics, not of yeah. like vaginal health or something, you know. A doctor in the same way that Gillian McKeith called herself a doctor. Uh, yeah, of something she, completely different. Yeah, because she gone and bought a doctorate off the internet, which you can do because I'm trying to get one for my cat so that my cat <laughs> is at least as qualified as Gillian McKeith. Um <laughs> <laughs> to be giving out advice. My cat brings home like pasties through the uh, cat flap, like genuinely. <laughs> she, I've never seen her bring any animal in, uh, but she's uh, she's brought in, and I've, I've come home a number of times and found flaky pastry up the stairs into my bedroom. Wow. And <laughs> I found chicken goujons. She regularly brings home sausages. She once brought home a Greg's steak bake actually in its, in its uh, paper uh, bag. This she is incredible. to drag that through the cat flap. <laughs> the weirdest thing about all of that is there isn't a Greg's near where I live. What? <laughs> it's like three miles away and it's at a motorway services. That's the nearest one to where I live. Right? Do you think there's some weird like feline Greg's somewhere and it's just like <laughs> all these have, cats queuing up for a sausage roll? I have no idea, but she really loves them. She goes, I wouldn't mind, but there's like there's two pie shops in the village that I live in. But uh, she has never brought anything back from either of those. She's like, no, she shows brand loyalty. And I respect that in her. 
I love your cat. This is amazing. Yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like with the Gwyneth Paltrow stuff, a lot of that stuff, like the, the vagina scented candle as well is the one that people remember. But there was this new story a while ago that one of them had exploded and a guy had been burnt to death. And that is just not how you want to go. Engulfed <laughs> in flames. The last thing that you think of is, oh my God, I'm, I'm dying in the middle of a Gwyneth Paltrow fanny scented candle. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. You don't want to die in an embarrassing way like that. So yeah, like honestly, like so much of the stuff that's that's put in there is not is is not useful, and a lot of the times it's actively dangerous. There was it was interesting a couple of months ago that she'd um, shared a video of her skin rate uh, a skin routine of like how she goes and puts on uh, sunscreen and she goes you only really need to put it on you on your cheekbones and the tops of your ears because those are the bits that get burnt and like dermatologists were going no Gwen, no what is wrong with you like that is just patently nonsense so yeah i think she'd be a, i think she'd be a danger i think she would like no matter how good you are in, in surviving that it would be like having homer simpson on a desert island with you. Mm. But like a really self-righteous Homer Simpson yeah. who like demanded respect and credibility, you know, like it, like Homer, you know, he doesn't think, he, you know, he's just is, you know, he's just like a bumbling fool who's trying his best, you know, whereas like, you know, she would like be lecturing you and just things like that when you're like, the sun is on your whole face, Gwyneth, you fucking yeah. idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. like, unless you've got weird cheekbones that stick out further than the rest of your face. And even then, what about your forehead, Gwyneth? Come on, just infuriating. Yeah, she and did. she'd get she'd get Reese Mogg wound up as well because he's not going to like any of that. And then you've nope. got an angry Reese Mogg, which is even worse than a passive one. And then you've got Tom Hanks in the middle trying to play Peacemaker, re- you know, just reliving his role as Mr. Rogers. And just me sat at the edge of it going, right, okay, I've managed to go and strip down this bark to try and make it, to weave it into rope. Um, We're going to have to go and try and find some flint on this island so we can try and cut down some trees so we can at least start to try and get away off here. Also, also, I've just realised, I've just remembered as well, Tom Hanks isn't going to survive very long on the desert island because Tom Hanks is diabetic. So that's another thing. He's going right, to die yep. within twenty. He's going to die within a couple of days in an incredibly horrific way. So, and he's the best one as well. You yeah. Know? So obviously, I don't want him on the island for that reason. I want mm. him to survive. I want him to have not got on the plane, or if he is in the plane, to have died immediately in the crash because that is the better, better outcome for him. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think that that sums up that section very nicely. So we're going to move on because mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Cauliflower. Cauliflower. Okay. I I just will not eat it. Like (laughs) I I was trying to think because I narrowed it down to three because there's only three things that I don't eat. In terms of like food stuff like that, that it you know in the event of being trapped on a desert island that I still couldn't bring myself to eat, and this is an autistic thing as much as anything else. But the three things are uh, peppers, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. Those are the three things that I couldn't can't do, and it comes from it. It's and I think it's almost an entirely an autistic thing. But I can always taste cauliflower has a really specific taste that I can that I can taste. Hmm. Uh, my mum loves it. My dad loves it. And uh, they really like the three things that I don't. And I've always cooked those things for me really badly. <laughs> and 
And from that, I've come to this basis that I'm just an incredibly picky eater, that I'm an incredibly fussy <laughs> eater who you can't please. Um, in spite of the fact, I really am not. I will eat any old shite. I honestly don't care. I just don't like those three things, which they seem to put in in everything. Someone once gave me that cauliflower rice, and I'm never talking to them again. Like, what, what is... It's just, it's just the worst. There's something about it I can't even manage to... Once I recognise that that's what it is, even if you go and blend it up and try and put it in something else like in soup, I can spot that it's there and my throat just won't swallow. I just, it, I cannot physically do it. And when I was a kid, whenever I sort of like describe my upbringing, I always sound like incredibly Victorian. I'm almost <laughs> like the equal and opposite to Reese Mogg in that um, my dad, when he, my dad used to be a blacksmith and um, he met my mum because uh, he was, his parents ran a pub and he was just finishing his apprenticeship and my mum was selling uh, seafood out of a basket uh, from pub to pub, so, which is, you know, incredibly Victorian thing to have done. <laughs> and that's how they met. And um, but and we lived off in the countryside. And so as a result of that, one of my jobs when I got home every day from school was to go and get rid of the ash from the open fire and then reset the fire so that it could be lit when the parents came home. But like in terms of some of the other stuff, they would like, they were really, really strict over what I could and couldn't eat. We weren't, we were, we weren't very well off. My dad retrained and became a teacher, and my mum eventually uh, went and got, uh, went and did like A levels and got a degree at night school and went off and became a probation officer. But for most of my early childhood, we really didn't have any spare money at all, um, and like didn't get a video recorder until the mid nineties. We the TV that we had was rented and it went back. We ended up without one for about six weeks when I was a kid because uh, it had to go back to the shop and all of these things that by the mid 80s were just standard that everybody on everybody certainly where I lived and within my peer group had it was just you know and we didn't and when it came to food they were really old school about it that if I didn't eat something I had to sit at the table until it was done and cauliflower uh, was one of those things where I would just sit next to it for hours uh although the one that really sort of eventually got me was that they had brussels sprouts and one afternoon one sunday as part of our sunday lunch because they're my mum's favorite thing right and i refused to eat them and i sat in front of that plate for about four or five hours until it was time to go to bed <laughs> and then i got up the next morning and it was there on the table for me for breakfast oh, and i wasn't man. able to wasn't allowed to go to school. I wasn't allowed to have me. It wasn't allowed to go to school or do any other things until I'd eaten it. Wow. Yeah. So stuff like that. Those those yeah. three things. I'm just not having them. But cauliflower particularly. Like that's these, the top I, of the pile. Yeah. Because as I've yeah. grown older, I think I could probably palate Brussels sprouts. But cauliflower, I, I every now and again I get something that's got it in by accident. And I'm, well, because the other two, I feel like. Peppers pop up a bit more, but not that often. Brussels sprouts are more localised, you know, like yeah. you don't tend to get them that often. They're easier to avoid. Yeah. Cauliflower, like, it's sort of had a like a hipster resurgence as well. Yeah. So now it's like it kind of gone away for a while. And now it's like it's back, you know, and it's trendy and stuff as well, isn't it? It's like Yeah, like a lot of places that I go and gig in the last couple of years, you go in and they go, oh, we've got these vegan chicken tenders, have them. And you go, oh, fantastic. Oh, these are great. And you bite into them and you go, the fuck is that? That's cauliflower in batter is what you've just given me there. What is that? How on earth do you think that that is an equivalent of a vegan chicken tender? Go, oh, screw yourself. I don't have any of this. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it is a vegetable, which is good. But no, you never hear anyone go, 
oh, you know, cauliflower is very good for this reason. It's never yeah. mentioned. It's like... It's not like it's high in iron. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there'll be people looking this up going, actually, it's got loads of vitamin, whatever. But yeah. it's never, you know, you don't hear it talked about that much. So, no. And also, like, eating enough cauliflower to be full is a lot of cauliflower. I it think. is, yeah, because it's like, it's it's carbs and, well, it's it's not even carbs. It's like, it's, it's mostly dietary fibre. <laughs> so it's not going to be great for you on a desert island. You are really going to be struggling with that. You Unless you go and use it as a weapon to throw at something. But even then, you're not going to be able to throw it hard enough. Yeah, and it's not it's not even that heavy, is it? To like, no. You can really bludgeon someone. I mean, I'm saying someone rather than something, because I'm thinking of Mog. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, so cauliflower, a good choice there. And, then, um, and what were you going to wash that down with? What's your, your drink choice? Anything alcoholic. Like I said, mm. I mentioned earlier, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So, like, these days, even a little bit of that, that's going to be the end of me. If there's anything that's got any booze in it, I'm not getting off that island. And not only am I not getting off that island, I'm going to be dead in a very short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go, oh, we've got nothing. Oh, what's washed up? Thousands upon thousands of bottles of wine. <sighs> right, okay. Yeah, we're, we are not getting off this island. <laughs> <laughs> It would be the end of me. Well, yeah, because either that or like if you are like, you know, in that situation and you manage to be strong enough, just like what an awful temptation just to have that there all <laughs> yeah. the time. You know, well, it's like things can't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine it like a single crate of it that's, that's broken at the bottom of the sea and they've all sort of slowly started to bob up. So no matter how many of them I get rid of. The next morning I come down, there's another hundred of them on the shore. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? And they're all miniature bottles because you've been yeah. on the plane, so it feels like you've drunk even more because there'll be like 50 of them yeah. <laughs> like, just surrounding you, like you're a giant, like a really pissed giant with these <laughs> tiny yeah. bottles. Oh, waiting for like a little message in a bottle and going, this isn't even big enough to put a message in. <laughs> you have to tiny. do like, you like a sentence at a time, like individual words and just throw yeah. out a million and hope that someone can rearrange yeah. them later. Like, really just waiting for some sellotape to wash up so you can at least tape them together so that they can do that. Yeah, yeah. So that they don't all just fall apart. I mean, oh, yeah, no, it'd be awful. It'd be a terrible situation. Plus, the other thing is, if it's alcoholic, there's a genetic thing, right, called, um, or it's known as Oriental Flush, which is that uh, because people from the Far East tend to, after they've had alcohol, uh, tend to go bright red. There's something in, in, yeah, in the like history. Blush, of, yeah, yeah, in my family. So anyone in my family, when we do drink, we just we go bright red. And the reason for that is because in the Far East, in order to make water um, more, uh, in order to sort of like try and get away from dysentery and 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 other waterborne illnesses, in order to make water safe to drink, they went and boiled it into like tea and mm. and stuff like that. Whereas in uh, Europe, in order to make water safe to drink, we tended to do we tended to go and brew it into like really mm. weak beer. And it was the reason why on ships for generations, they went and gave, they had barrels of beer. Everyone had an amount of beer that they were allowed to have that was um, a low percentage because that was the safest way to make sure that you got enough to drink. And the stuff that's going to wash up on your desert island is not going to be that. You're going to get absolutely hammered. And uh, <laughs> then the next day, you're going to be uh, incredibly hungover and really dehydrated. It's just going to make things worse. And I can imagine like Tom Hanks being like, he'll be the mediator, like laying a hand on you, you know, just when you're at your low point, he'll be like, come on now, let's think mm. about it. You're like, fuck off, Tom Hanks. Fuck off, Tom Hanks. I'm getting drunk. 
<laughs> it was just sort of, and again, the next day, you're like, oh, God. And then I upset Tom as well. And he was just trying to be nice. And Gwyneth is going to be like, you look a little red there. Have you, try some, uh, try some, like, whatever fucking weird shit I've made up instead yeah. of sun cream. You know? And Reese Mogg's going, you've only got yourself to blame. You should have sewed some restraint. I only had one. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And that would be the day that I'd bludgeon him to death, I think. With a tiny wine bottle. <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to bottle him, but it doesn't work and just gets a splinter. Yeah, okay. Well, look, fortunately, you're not going to be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Song, Re-Rewind by Craig David. Oh, good call. I hate that song. Yeah. There's something about it that I just found find really uncanny. It's partly the auto tune that's in it, because um, I don't. I'm not particular. As I say, I'm not particularly a ranter, and mostly I'll be able to forget about it, especially sort of songs. Because now that I'm old, I uh, <laughs> just like I don't have the energy to be annoyed by things mm. like that anymore. I remember, you know, remember when you when you're a teenager and somebody doesn't like the band that you like, and you've made it sort of like a supporting wall of your entire personality. And so you're really angry at them for How dare you not like the thing that I like? And you get so angry with it. And I don't, I can't, I don't have the energy for that anymore. Mm. However, with this song, uh, when I was about 18, uh, 19, I was at university in South London and um, living in a little sort of terraced house. It was in quite a nice little area of, you know, considering we were students, we were doing quite well. In, in getting the place that we had. It was a really, really nice place to rent. And next door was a bunch of graduate students who were a bit older than us. And one mm. weekend they had a party and they played Re Rewind on repeat pretty much for the entire week. It was it was oh. all sort of UK garage that they were playing mm. and it was so loud coming through the wall and just couldn't sleep for an entire weekend. And it was Re Rewind that they kept playing over and over and over again. And... Uh, what else? I think they had the um, Shanks and Bigfoot Sweet Like Chocolate. Oh, God, yeah. I hated that era of yeah. music. Me too. And Eiffel 65 Blue was oh, the other one that they had. Oh, God. So, so it was basically those three songs over and over and over again and just couldn't sleep. It was so loud for the entire weekend. And it, it nearly broke me to the point that I remember being stood in, in, the, in the hallway of my house with a hammer going... I'm going to go around and I'm just going to smash up the stereo. <laughs> I need to stop this. I can't carry on. Yeah, like re-rewind isn't an instruction. Play something else. Yeah, it's okay. Absolutely. And so off the back of that, I was like, yeah, no. And whenever I hear that song, it's I it just sort of triggers something deep inside of me. It just makes me incredibly upset. You know, sometimes there's like a new, when you're young, like a new form of music comes out and you're like, I feel like I'm the only one who doesn't get this. Like, yeah. you know, you'd hear it and go, this is fucking shit. And then you get to school and everyone's just like, yeah. You go, what oh, the- this is the best. This is the best song ever. Oh, oh, what God, are you like, hearing? What are you listening to? Why are you listening? No, listen to some of this. Oh, I'm not listening to that shit. All oh, right. Okay, fine. Yeah. And it's got that sort of weird comedy boink sound effect yeah. in it. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Why do you need this? None of this. None of this is good. I'm so glad when garage wasn't a thing anyway. I remember my friend said yeah. he worked in a bar like years years later and someone said, oh, do you know anywhere where like 
where I can go find some garage. And he forgot that garage existed and he sort of directed them to a petrol station. And, and then they were like, no, no, you know, like UK garage. And he was really pleased that if, like for that amount of time, he forgot that the genre was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd have been so pleased as well. It was an awful time because uh, I'd always been into metal and punk and goth stuff that it was like, People thinking that it was just, oh, no, you just hate dance music. And I was like, I don't. I'm really into big beat. <laughs> like, I'd also just recently discovered ecstasy and MDMA. I was so into, like, so much dance music. I went and saw uh, Norman Cook versus Armand Van Helden. Um, it, it was fantastic. It was, like, I was really into that sort of stuff. And I just, UK Garage of that era, just, and, and I put, I mean, partly it was that I think that song was absolutely terrible, but I also mm. think that that party that happened next door that lasted for three days, just the thing that made me go, no, I cannot listen to yeah. anything associated with this music <laughs> at all. No, I agree. And it, it was the same. Like, I liked so much, uh, so many other genres that had an influence on, you know, like I used to like hip hop and R&B yeah. and house and all these other things. It's like, I like all these components that go into it, yeah. but you know, I can like a lot of different ingredients, but it doesn't mean that the stuff you make out of it is going to be any good. Yeah, you know? this is it. Yeah. Listening to that sort of stuff and going, yeah, yeah, really. Cause I was re- also really into a lot of hip hop, really into Wu-Tang Clan, really into Public Enemy, mm. really into like NWA and stuff like that. And, and a lot of the stuff that sort of came out of that. And it was just one of those offshoots that was just like, no, this sounds awful. This sounds terrible. I went on holiday to Greece. The last proper holiday I had was in like 1999. And uh, went with a whole bunch of people from university to Greece for a fortnight. And it was just the worst as well. And that was like right at the height of that. So every single club would be playing, um, would be playing stuff like that. It was that call and response thing that was going on in clubs at the time. Like, ooh, ooh, oh, God, would do. that. It was the start of that. And you go, <sighs> You know when you like you get up to a club and you just hear that happening from outside, and then like, the bouncer checking if you had shoes on, and you're like, "Oh, yeah. for fuck's sake!" Really, really? Oh, oh god. god, no, no, nah, I don't want any of this. So yeah, so that song can yeah can I, I'm just sitting there going, right, okay, well, obviously I I'm never listening to music again until we escape. <laughs> I agree. And then, um, what would your film choice be? Uh, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Okay, yeah, yeah. First of all, it's the middle of the trilogy, so it's absolutely not satisfying in any way whatsoever to just watch (laughs) that on its own. (laughs) I mean, it lasts a long time, so it's got that Mm. going for it. But also, I... Like I'm a proper nerd, like, and you can see because we're on we're on Zoom here, and you can see all of the nerd shit that I have in the background <laughs> of my shot, whether it's my Catwoman poster or my Hulk poster or the Marvel Comics covers or you know the uh, Stanley bumper sticker from Avengers Endgame that's behind <laughs> me, or like if I move my chair slightly out of the way, hang on, which way is it? There we go. You can see I've got like a Mario coin block and like Pokemon shit <laughs> and a Spider-Man mask and like. You can't quite see because it's just out of shot, but there's a, there's a Cyberman picture up there as well, and like I've got <laughs> like Doctor Who stuff all over the place, and uh, comic books, all sorts of different comic books uh, of, of different types, and so obviously everybody assumes that I would like Lord of the Rings, and I don't <laughs> <laughs> really don't. I find I, it's I found it interminable. I, I I've never been able to get past like about page three or four of any of, of the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. Struggled with those. Um, went to see the first film at the pictures because dead excited because obviously it was a huge event. It's like oh mm. wow they're finally going to be able to film this. Wow amazing. And watched it and got back. I was like, oh, well. 
it took a long time to go nowhere. <laughs> and yeah, and I watched all three of them at the pictures, didn't enjoy any of them. But by the time I'd got to the end of the two towers, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to watch Return of the King, aren't I? Just to at least find out how this goes. And I didn't like it. And, um, and, and that was it. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't, it's not for me. It's for everyone else. I'm really glad that it exists. And I know that a lot of people really enjoy it. And I am so happy for them. And I think it's wonderful. My partner, it's like her favourite science fiction trilogy. Absolutely adores it. Yeah. And <laughs> then like about 10 years ago, I got really ill. I got glandular fever. I've had glandular fever twice in my life, which I don't even think is supposed to be possible. <laughs> and the second time I got it, it developed into chronic fatigue syndrome, which I've struggled with for the last 10 years. And so for about six months, I couldn't get out of bed. And I just watched stuff all the time. I managed to get through the entirety of the West Wing in under a week, right? Because I couldn't do anything else. I didn't have the focus to, to even play video games or anything like that. So I'm like, <laughs> laying in bed and my flatmate had the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. And I went, do you know what? I watched them at the, I watched them at the pictures and I didn't, I didn't really get them. Maybe I should watch them again and just, just see what they're like. You know, and I decided to watch them all in a single day because obviously I couldn't do anything else. And so I woke up one morning and put them at, and, and like the director's versions, I think they're like four hours each. Yeah, like if ever something didn't need extending, it's yeah. those films. Yeah. And I watched all of them back to back and just got to the end of it and went, that was the worst thing. That was just, it was... It was every, it, not only was it every bit as bad as I remember it being, it was even worse. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. There's like, and even the building of the characters and, and their feelings for each other doesn't really go anywhere. Also, they're really hard to care about, I find. Yeah. You know, you kind of, it's an epic quest and this big struggle against good and evil. But I don't like any of you that much. So I don't really care if you like, if you die or if a, a, like an orc kills you or whatever. You know, like, I don't care. You're not likable. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm so uninvested in this. Like, yeah, totally. it doesn't matter. Totally. And it's always that thing of, yeah. And I remember going, I remember saying to, to, my girlfriend without realising, you know, about how boring I found it. And her going, yeah, it's almost as boring as this as, as this rant from you about it. <laughs> like, All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I'm like, yeah. Why didn't they get the eagles to go and rescue them? Like, yeah, I could just imagine fucking Don Henley climbing up that mountain. Um, <laughs> Plays some Hotel California. Yeah, there's so much of it. I mean, like, obviously that's the one that people think of as a plot hole and it doesn't really work as a plot hole. But yeah, it, but it, even so, it's essentially, it, with the director's cut versions of it, it's it's 12 hours of a bunch of people going on a walk to chuck a ring into a volcano with not much really happening, you know. I remember at uni it would be one of those things where it's like you're really hungover and somebody like, oh, let's put Lord of the Rings on, you know, let's all get the duvets in the living room. And I was like... I'm hungover too, and now what? I've got to just sit in my room because you're just going to watch this bullshit all day, and like, you know, the lights have to be off, and I'm like, stop talking, and like, this is the good bit. I'm like, fucking don't care. There's no good bit. There's I'm no so good bit of it. Yeah, I really struggled with that. Yeah, and and yeah, and like I say, but specifically with clearly being so into so much nerd shit that everybody assumes that I really like it. 
and I know enough about it to be able to get through a conversation without having to upset anyone, but I really don't want to have to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you've got Tom Hanks and Gwyneth Paltrow telling you that why you're wrong, why it is actually yeah, a great film, and just like, oh, yeah, but if you think about the lighting, and like, oh, shut yeah. up, guys. Chatting with those two whilst they're telling me stories about, you know, things that they chatted to, uh, about the times that they met Elijah Wood or Peter Jackson after that, and we're talking to them about it. And I'm going, what? No, I don't want to know about this. Oh, you're going to go and watch that, are you? I'm just going to go off into the woods and try and uh, get some more stuff together for us to go and escape from this hellhole. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you have certainly made a good case for it, and I'm absolutely in agreement as well. So yeah. very good work there. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? The Sasquatch. The Sasquatch, okay. The Sasquatch of all of the cryptids. Can you imagine, right? It's over. The island's overrun with it, and you're stuck on an island with this. You're probably never going to get out of there mm. again. And you finally have proof that Bigfoot exists. How frustrating <laughs> is that going to be for starters? Like <laughs> the most frustrating thing ever. You're trapped on an island, like oh god, and like you actually get to see what Sasquatch actually looks like. You're like, all right, okay, yeah, no, it is. It's like it's because obviously it doesn't exist, right? We know this. Mm. We know it doesn't exist, but that doesn't stop people from really honestly believing in it. There's a series of, I think it was on the History Channel, which every single day fails to live up to its name. Um, well, <laughs> they have some fantastic shows about uh, about the Bigfoot, about the Sasquatch on there. And in one of them, um, somebody had gone and was, I can remember once, some very serious guy, like without it being, without any shred of irony, without anything else, just desperately trying to sort of be utterly sincere and earnest, who was doing a Bigfoot mating call. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever <laughs> seen. Um, but yeah, like if you do, if you were on an island that was just overrun with them, yeah. you'd be like, oh God, what? So this is where you all live, is it? Right, okay. <laughs> Finally, proof. And I always love that, um, that Mitch Hedberg joke. Uh, it's like, what if Bigfoot is just blurry? <laughs> every time you try and take a photograph of him he's just blurry <laughs> that's just what he looks like <laughs> these photographs are really good he just looks like that yeah yeah it's part of his natural camouflage you just yeah, can't yeah. see the edges just yeah really like oh, it's, yeah and that would be quite terrifying to come across also like a seven foot tall humanoid ape creature on the island with you you're gonna get you're not gonna survive <laughs> for <No>. very long <laughs> yeah I think they're going to tear you limb from limb which given your choices might not actually be that bad you can only stave them off with Reese Mogg for so long <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Beth, I think you've just done a, a superb job today, um, you know, because I have come to the end and I do think that being being torn apart by a fictional creature is the best option for you on the island. It really is, isn't it? You know, and that really speaks to the, the strength of your choices here today. So, so you know, I applaud you. Uh, so well done. Well done for those. Um, Thank you very much. Beth, before we go, uh, what, where, where's the best place to sort of keep up to date with what you're up to at the minute? What, what are you up to? Well, I do a Twitch show every day at 2pm at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Bethany Black, spelt phonetically, B-E-F-F-E-R-N-I-E. Uh, and I say phonetically because uh, that's how one of my co-workers spelt it when he'd only ever heard my name spoken, not written, <laughs> never seen it written down. Uh, but if you just type Bethany Black into the search, you'll find me. You'll find which one I am. Also, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. That's mostly the best way to keep up with where I am and, and what I'm doing. I'm sort of 
semi-permanently on tour around the country doing stuff here and there but that's the best place to keep up with me really brilliant well bethany black thank you very much for coming on desert island dicks today it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me So there you go. That was Desert Island Dicks with Bethany Black. Desert Island Dicks is a sync clap production created by James Deacon, produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus. Our editor is Chris Attaway. We get social media support from Jason Leach and a guy called Chintzy Clinton. And a special mention, as always, to our statistician, Graham Mamster Flash, and John Deacon, our show historian slash sommelier. Just like to say here, thank you to everybody who listens. It means an awful lot to us uh, that we have your support. And if you haven't already, it would be so helpful for us if you would subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review as well. Uh, Subscribing, of course, means that you'll always get the latest episodes straight to your inbox. Well, not inbox, but you'll get them straight to your phone and uh, you'll never miss an episode or never come to it late. So that's good. And uh, just leaving us a review or a rating is really helpful for us. It helps us get up the charts helps get us bigger guests and that kind of thing so it really means a lot despite all those names that i read out we are an independent podcast so we don't have any other help we do this all ourselves it's a diy enterprise so it really helps us out and we very very much appreciate it all right that's enough for me thank you again for listening we'll be back next week with another wonderful episode from another wonderful guest so i hope you have a week free of dicks unless they're desert island dicks and i've run out of things to say bye